Amen. Let's pray together. Throughout time, Lord, there has never been a name greater than your name, a name that is more exalted, a name that is more powerful than your name, Yahweh. And we thank you that you have made yourself known to us, revealed yourself as the great I am. Your scripture declares it from the very beginning, in the beginning, God, you are you are the great I am. You are the most powerful. You are the sustainer. You are the judge. You are the healer. You're the one who alone can bring life, take life, and resurrect life again. How majestic is your name. And then you revealed yourself in your son Jesus, a name that is given above all other people, a name by which people may be saved we bless you for his name, for his name is righteousness, and his name is healing. And you came to reveal yourself by name to us, Emmanuel, God with us. We know your name, Lord, for you are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. We know your name, for we have called upon your name to be saved. We know your name, for when we needed rescue, you were there as we called out your name. We know your name because when the loneliness of night creeps in, we call you and you are ever present. We know your name because we can be tender in the moments where we just need to be drawing near to you and whisper your affectionate name, Jesus. We know your name because when we need your power, when we need to know you and your power, we call out to you and you're like the mighty commander of the Lord's army and all fall before you. So we thank you for the name that it's above all the majestic name of our God. And we bless you and we honor you in this moment by reading your word and hearing it and moving our lives to match it. So help us now by your Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and look again to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're in verse 11. Uh, I want to just hang out in verse 11 and 12 today and then we'll pick up and a part two of this little message called Pursuing the Call of God. Uh, look what the scripture says for us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Two quick points. Well, two points not so quick <laughs> here they are first command these things we're going to talk about commanding uh, presenting proclaiming declaring the word of God and we're also going to talk about consistently living the commands of God by the transformed life that God has begun in us in Christ Jesus and those two things commanding and demonstrating are powerfully effective in this world so let's just talk through that for a moment you know, as a pastor of Ephesus, Timothy really had to rely on God's grace. He was really in a difficult situation. In fact, he had a bent naturally towards timidity. He wasn't the take charge pioneering leader that the apostle Paul had been, and yet he was faithful. 
But in his faithfulness at times, he needed real reassurance. He needed encouragement, and his, minister, his uh, mentor, Paul, gave him that. When he needed it the most, he found that Paul was his encourager, persistently giving that to him. At times, he needed even more assurance than what Paul could give him because he was prone to intimidation. In fact, in one of the letters that Paul had written, he wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said about Timothy, don't intimidate him. In fact, look at the scripture. This is out of the New Jerusalem Bible. Make sure that he has nothing to fear from you. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am, and nobody is to underrate him. It sort of gives us insight to what Timothy had persistently going on in his mind, in his heart, in his being. Later, Paul would write to Timothy reminding him that God does not give him or you or any one of us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind, one who has self-control. So he's helping Timothy to just stay true to who he is in Christ Jesus and calling him to that regularly. If you remember, he has stomach issues. And if you're one who is anxious and timid, uh, that issue is often really antagonized by your uh, mental condition. The things that are going on emotionally in us trigger our stomach. Uh, body, soul, spirit is how we're made. And so one affects the other. Paul pastored uh, along with Timothy. And as Timothy was being assigned his pastorate by the apostle Paul, he was placed there in Ephesus. And from the opening chapter, we can assume that Timothy really didn't want to stay there. In fact, you could argue, but I think the point is fairly solidly made that in the opening words, the first three verses of this letter that Paul has written, he is encouraging Timothy, you stay there. It's almost as if Timothy is saying, hey, can I go to another assignment? Can, can I do something else? You ever had that where you sense God wanting you to do something and you say, uh, can I do something else? Uh, I want you to speak to this individual. You get prompted by the spirit who lives within you through your conscience. You feel like you need to engage this person in conversation. Uh, can we pick somebody else, please? You've had that, and I have too. And Timothy was having that, and, and Paul was instructing him, you remain there. Now, let's don't forget what the purpose of Timothy being at Ephesus as the pastor, what his purpose is. He is to take charge of that church and to rebuild that church on biblical truth, which means first he has to remove the rubble. You don't build on rubble, so he has to get rid of the rubble, and the rubble in this case are leaders, pastors, elders in the church who are not to be elders any longer in that church. They are teaching the doctrine of demons, Paul says. They're, they're misleading and misguiding the church, and Timothy is supposed to go in there, and he's not just supposed to rebuild the church, he has to first get rid of the rubble is to get rid of all that which is wrong, errant leaders. Now listen to the perplexity of the situation he finds himself in. Timothy was pastoring a church that did not call him. There was no vote of affirmation. It wasn't like the church at Ephesus said, do we want this guy, do we not want this guy? And they voted for him. No, no, no. He was there by assignment. Paul directed him to go there. And he was there, some of the current leaders who were already in position, they were false teachers, and they would certainly challenge him because they were led by demons. 
And he was there to dismantle a well-established untruth of myths and all kinds of practices that were initiated and perpetuated by people who were intimidating to Timothy. In fact, they thought Timothy was too young to be their pastor. So even the most confident of leaders would have difficulty, almost as difficult as a preacher who is preaching in the midst of a rainstorm. <laughs> Let's just all do this for a moment because half of you are already doing that. You're just looking around like, I think it's gonna hold. <laughs> so isn't it intriguing that God who already knows Timothy has made him uniquely as Timothy is, has given Timothy all the frailties that he has emotionally, has positioned him with personality and said, this is where I want you to be and you gotta be tough to do it. Is it not intriguing that God would place him there? I mean, you think that he would place the most serious, most bold, most disciplined, most aggressive individual to go into a church like that and try to reestablish biblical truth, but he doesn't. He chooses one who has a propensity to timidity. And you have to ask yourself, why would God do that? Why is God like that? Why would he put me in a position like that? Why would he put Timothy in a position like that? Now, I don't know all of the mind of God. I, I don't know much of the mind of God except what he has given to me by the scriptures. But I know enough about who he is and how he operates in the scripture, in the lives of people, in my life, your life, to know that Timothy is learning from this situation. He's learning not just how to be a better pastor. He's learning about God He's learning about the Holy Spirit. He's learning about the provision of God. He's learning about the power of the word of God. In fact, Timothy would grow in reliance on the strength and the potency of God, the spirit of God. He couldn't rest in his own strength. He had to recognize this is gonna require a strength greater than what I already possess, and it would be the Spirit of God. And he would learn to rely on the power and the authority of God's Word because he walks into this church that had been assigned to him with them saying, he is not our guy. He is way too young to be our pastor. He wants to change everything. And so he has to walk in with confidence in the power and the, and the authority of God's word. He came to understand the availing, the availing might of one who walks righteously before God and others and the strength that that brings into the position and into life. He's gonna learn that and he's going to apply that. He learns that the resources that he needs are treasured not in him personally, but treasured in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit who works works through Timothy, to, through Timothy with supernatural gifts. He's gonna just have to rest in that, that God is his provider, that God will match whatever the call is with the, the requirement and the needs. God is gonna match the gifts to those things so that he might be successful. And he's gonna understand that faithful obedience to call trumps any circumstance or situation. Right, there are times in our lives that when we just have to recognize this is not going to be easy, this is going to be difficult, and maybe I'm not even going to be liked, but in the end, if I'm faithful and if I'm obedient to God, he will faithfully reward me, not just for today, but throughout all eternity. So I'm going to stay the course. Some of you are in very difficult situations. Stay the course. 
If you're obedient, you're following the things of God, you're walking in the way of Christ, stay the course, but it's tough. Stay the course. It will be worth it. And when you look back from eternity's perspective, it will be very clear. Your stay in the course has made an impact. So without Timothy's weakness, I don't think he would ever have learned to rely and trust and know God to the level that he is knowing him. We just pause here for a moment because as I look around the room this morning and I think about those who are watching by stream today, I'm just recognizing that some of you are in very difficult places. And you wonder why God has you in that place. Why did God do this? Why is he doing that? I just want to remind you in every circumstance he is revealing himself. In every way you can grow in your understanding of him. In every way your reliance won't be on you. It will be on him. And in the end you will be grateful. We'll be thankful to God for the good and the bad. The Lord gives. The Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Timothy is learning that. I'm also reminded that some of us have things in our lives that are excuses for us to not pursue ministry, but those are the very things that perhaps God has afflicted us with to make us more dependent on him and his power and his strength to accomplish his purposes. God is not one to share his glory. And so he often works through people who have great weaknesses, who have great needs. And he does that because in the end, only God could be glorified through that individual, accomplishing what they have accomplished to his glory. So God will accomplish through our weaknesses. Don't use those as excuses. God is wanting to accomplish through your weakness, despite the weakness. And could I just go further? It's not just despite the weakness, God has made the weakness so that his strength might be found in you. You say, would God do that? Absolutely. And aren't we grateful he works in that way? Because we come to know him more. We find ourselves more reliant on him, more resting in him. So I've said this multiple times, but it's worth repeating. God determines our capacity. But by his grace, we determine our obedience to it. So just trust God to give the capacity that he wants you to have. Trust him enough to be faithful and obedient in what he's called you to do. Step forward in that and then let God do the great work and the accomplishment. Now, knowing Timothy's disposition and his objections that he faced, verse 11 really stands out to me. Because here's what Paul is saying to him. Knowing who he is, this is Paul saying, hey, Timothy, command and teach these things. Now, Timothy is not one to command, is he? I mean, in his personality, you wouldn't think that Timothy, I can see Paul commanding. I can see Peter commanding. But Timothy? So that really stands out to me. Paul saying, command these things. Paul insisted that Timothy command or mandate the congregation to obey God's word fully, to acknowledge it, to possess it, to live out the words with faith and good doctrine and live godly lives before Christ and each other. Command those things, Timothy. 
And Timothy wasn't there to encourage the church with some kind of pragmatism. He, he wasn't there to give pragmatic sermons like five successes in life or 10 ways for you to have a happy home. That wasn't what he was there for. Now, I would dare say that most of us, if not all of us, are not in church to do that. Our purpose is to command the things of Christ, to command the ways of Christ, and do it with the demanding authority that God's word presents. So Paul is insisting for him to command these things to the church, command the church to obey God's word, teach the doctrines, live righteously before them, command these things. Can I just say God expects the very same call for Meadowbrook? This platform, whoever's doing the teaching ministry, whoever's leading in life group, whoever's doing in Bible study, here's what God says, command these things. Do it with a sense of authority. Not that you have the authority, but God's word comes with authority. John MacArthur rightfully surmises today's less commanding preaching among Christendom. Here's what he says. Paul's command to teach contrasts sharply with much contemporary preaching. See if he doesn't have this right. Preaching in our day is often intriguing but seldom commanding. It's often entertaining but seldom convicting. Often popular but seldom powerful. Often interesting but not often transforming. You and I ought to come to God's word and expect that God is commanding us to do things and we ought to present it as such. This isn't options, take which one you like. This is God's word. And if you and I are gonna live gloriously unto God in a way that has transformed our heart and our mind and our living, then we ought to command these things and command them of ourselves and one another. Until God extended his call into my life, I would never have dreamed to stand before you today or any other day as a teacher or preacher of God's word. In fact, I was a mumbling runt of a teenager, insecure and directionless, but God spoke to my soul. And I knew without any doubt that I would pursue God's call for my life. I didn't know exactly how that would be accomplished. I didn't know all the details of that, obviously. But in my bedroom with God's word open and in a deep time of prayer, I said yes to the Lord. My confidence that I have standing before you is not self-confidence. I would not want to be the guy standing in front of a group speaking. What I present to you is not self-confidence. Instead, it is confidence in God, the creator of the universe, who somehow someone would knit and fashion me in my mother's womb, that he would put all the intricate details of me and all the weaknesses and all the strengths and the natural talent and ability that he would want to give me. Then he supercharged it by his Holy Spirit. And he said, stand before my people and command these things. What things? These things. And so I stand with the authority of God and his word before you today. And I can stand up here making all kinds of proclamations when I know they are in this scripture, in this truth, and I can know that they are transforming people. How do I know that? Because I believe the Bible is God-breathed words. 
that they come from the mouth of God, they are living and they are perfect in every way. No matter what generation, no matter what time, they are still active and alive. And I believe that through the word of God, he is changing people. I know culture is changing. It wants to silence the word of God. I know that times are changing, but God's word doesn't change. It's immutable. It is perfect in every way. I believe the Bible cuts to the core of people's spirits and souls. I believe it's like a beam of light that casts down into the darkness of our motives and our thoughts and it puts a light on our sin and our sinful ways and at the same time, it bears forth a light that says, this is the way to go. This is the way of blessing. And I believe God's word is the word that saves people. That's the reason why I proclaim it in a way believing that somebody's gonna get saved today, either in this room or watching online. I I believe God's word is a saving word. I believe the Bible is the plumb line of God. In other words, he's dropping it down from heaven. And I know the world might celebrate sin and the culture might try to cancel out the message of God, but God's plumb line has already fallen and it shows us exactly how we are to live our life. And it will reveal if we're leaning to the left or we're leaning to the right and we'll come back in line with his word. If we say, this is the authoritative word of God for my living and I choose to live my life right here that's the reason why I can stand with confidence and proclaim and command I wish I could say that I'm perfect in every Sunday in that way I'm not wish I could say I was perfect Monday through Saturday but I'm not but I am confident that God's word is very much active and alive today it's transforming now listen as confident as I can be you can be just as confident if you're sharing God's word with people at work or at school or in your community or neighborhood, wherever you are, you're sharing God's word. You can be confident that it will hit its mark. And when you are digitally sharing God's word, posting biblical truths on social media, you can be confident that even that word will not return to him void when somebody comes to you for advice and you begin to open up God's word and give counsel to them according to God's word, you can be certain that they can have transformation in their life because you are declaring and commanding God's word. You're not offering suggestions. This isn't a self-help tip you're giving them. This is the authoritative word of God that's come from his mouth. And you say, if you do these things, God will bless your life. He will bless your life in a way that is like Jesus. Does that mean your life is going to forever be rosy? No, no, no. But it means that you'll know who God is. You'll know the Spirit of God. You'll know the Word of God. You'll know the presence of God. You'll know the blessings of God even in the midst of the crisis. You command God's Word and the people around you and in your own life and you see what kind of work God does. Mom, Dad, build your life on the solid rock of God's Word and then insist that your children follow suit. None of this craziness of, oh, I'm gonna let my kids decide. Well, you didn't let them decide whether they were gonna brush their teeth last night. You didn't let them decide whether they were gonna make up their bed or not make up, the, well, maybe you did that, I don't know. You didn't let them decide whether they were gonna take a bath last week. Now you decided for them because you know it's best for them. Bring them to God's word, command that they follow God's word because that's what God has placed you in authority to do to lead them in that way. Grandparents do that. Aunts, uncles do that. Command God's word. Now, how can we be so confident in God's word? Well, I, if you're gonna be commanding, you have to be confident in God's word. Let me give you three quick 
ways that you can have real confidence, a commanding confidence. Number one, you need to make sure that the Bible is the inspired word of God. When you get that the Bible is the inspired word of God, it's not just a historical document, but it is. It's not just incredible teaching, and it is, but it is the inspired word of God. There is nothing like it. The Bible is the inspired word of God, and that gives you confidence to command things in your life and people's lives. Be sure that you're accurate in your understanding. Don't, don't get uh, intellectually apathetic with God's word. Study it. Ask questions about it. Seek counsel from the Spirit of God, who's your teacher. Talk to one another about it. Let Scripture answer Scripture. Understand God's Word. It's His authoritative, inspired Word, and it is to be understood. And then third, be sure that God is pleased with your faithful proclamation. You can be certain that if you're proclaiming it, God is pleased. But that person didn't respond. That person didn't apply it. The results are up to God. You can be confident that God is pleased with your faithfulness. So as you understand it's the inspired word of God and as you understand the truths of God's word and that God is pleased with your faithfulness, you can present it with confidence. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are. A preacher is just a proclaimer. You're a proclaimer. I'm not a teacher. Yes, you are. You teach things all the time. Teach God's word with confidence and see what, what happens. So Paul is saying to Timothy, command these things. You know God's word. You know the apostles' teaching. I've been teaching and pouring into you for over 15 years. Now command these things. Hold them to task on this because you love them. Love them by commanding these things. But then it's not just about commanding God's word. It's convince, convictingly living out biblical transformation it's living with confidence in a convincing way for others to see that this is the way a transformed person lives look what he says in verse 12 let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech in conduct and love and faith and purity speech conduct love faith and purity you and i ought to try to commit that to memory speech conduct love faith and purity and then just ask throughout the day, how am I doing in speech and conduct, love, faith, and purity? I want to take those five and sort of break them down. Let me remind you first. When, when Paul says to Timothy, don't let somebody look down on you because of your youth. It's not like Timothy is a teenager. Timothy is in his mid-30s. He's the same age as I was when I first started here at Meadowbrook at 35. When I came as the pastor here a little over 20 years ago, as I was out and about in community and you, the faith family, would introduce me to other people, inevitably somebody would say in the day, you sure are young to be the preacher at Meadowbrook. Now nobody is saying that anymore. <laughs> Every now and then I might go to McGuffey's and maybe I'll get somebody to say something like that. The Greek culture obviously thought very highly of maturity and experience. And there was an expectation that if you were going to lead, that you would be an elder, quite literally. So here's Timothy, a young gun. 
in his mid-30s who comes into this church that did not affirm him but received him by appointment and immediately started questioning him. Is he the guy? He's so young. And what Paul is saying to him is you need to not expect respect. You need to earn the respect. Okay, so respect comes with age in the Greek culture. So since you don't have the benefit of the doubt by them, you're going to have to earn this. And while you're earning it, command these things. But now look what he's saying to him. Here's how you earn respect. And this is for all of us, right? This is for the young guns in the room all the way up to the most senior in the room. This is how we earn and keep respect. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. If you're walking in the things of God with the mind of God, with the mouth of God in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, you will have respect. And when you have respect, then you can speak God's word. And the combination of the two of those things is powerful. So if I proclaim God's word with all the tenacity that I have, and I do it with all the unction that I want you to have it in, but my life doesn't match the word, you would immediately discount it. If I'm the most pure individual, but I can't proclaim or I don't proclaim God's word, then just living out a life of example doesn't mean much. But when the two of those come together, oh my, how amazingly powerful that is. Now, I think, although the letter is written to Timothy as a pastoral letter, it's meant to encourage him as a pastor and really champion him as a pastor. I think this is meant for all of us. This is the way we have great influence in school, in our work, in our neighborhood, in our community, in the civic organizations you're part of. This is how you have great impact. You proclaim God's word and you do it in a way that it is commanding because it is the inspired word of God from his mouth and you live out that in your speech of faith and purity. And if you do those things, your school will never be the same. Your workplace will not be the same and your neighborhood will not be the same. Our community, our state, our nation will not be the same. We really need to champion and, and understand these truths. So how can you or a minister earn respect? By proclaiming and living out that proclamation. Nothing brings reproach more quickly on the name of God than a proclaimer who lives in hypocrisy. To just talk it all the time but not live it out in any way. And nothing brings more significant impact than somebody who is sharing the Bible with others and revealing how they live that day in and day out. Now, I'm not talking about just when things are going well. All right? When things are going well, that's a beautiful witness of the Lord. When things are not going well, all eyes are on you. They want to see if this really makes a difference in your life because everybody goes through hardship. They want to see in the hardship, do you stay the course? In the hardship, do you still have the commands of God? Is it evident in the hardship that your words match that of God, that your conduct matches that which God requires of you, or that your faith, love, and purity is persistent? There used to be an adage circulated frequently that was grossly wrong, and when something like this, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I can tell you that that might fit well in Twitter, but it doesn't fit well biblically. 
In fact, the Bible says the opposite, insisting that we proclaim the word and be demonstrative in the word. Romans 10 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So there's not anybody who's gonna be saved who is not first hearing the word of God. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. And then he also says in James 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. In other words, you're not gonna deceive yourself by just saying you do things and not actually do them and you're not gonna deceive anybody else. They're gonna see what's really happening. But when the two of those come together and they're obeyed, you proclaim and you live out the proclamation, it's incredible. Jesus warned his followers not to follow the scribes and the Pharisees of his day who were said to be given to God's word. And he said, stay away from them, don't follow after them because they don't practice what they preach. So he said, you just need to stay away from them. James makes it more personal saying, what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? You're really thinking you're saved when you don't even live out the proclamation that you say you've received by faith? James is just putting it out there straight up, isn't he? Now don't fool yourself because you're not fooling anybody else. So look again at verse 12, what Paul is saying here. Set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. So let's break those fabulous five examples down by doing it in two categories. One's an external, one's an internal. He says, externally, be an example in your speech and conduct. So according to Christ, our speech and conduct comes from our hearts let me say it differently. Our speech and conduct are sourced from our hearts. Uh, it's pretty intriguing sometimes when people know who I am or perhaps they don't know who I am yet and they just string out a whole bunch of cuss words. <laughs> and uh, if they know who I am, they'll say, oh, preacher, preacher, sorry, sorry, pardon my French. I hadn't met a whole lot of French people, but I've just got in my mind that these folks are just filled with dirty words, aren't they? I don't know. <laughs> pardon my French. Uh, what you really ought to be saying is, pardon my heart. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is saying that it's the overflow of our heart where the mouth speaks. Now, I've had some Christians say, you know, it's not a big deal for my my cuss words just come out you know there's certain like they categorize certain cuss words to be worse than others and at some measure these cuss words are okay stop thinking them right now I know what you're doing you're thinking about those very words and they try to categorize them and say it's not too bad can I just say is there any part of your heart that you don't want to be pure I don't know about you but I hate the part of my heart that is not pure So why give yourself a pass? As if there's some part of an impure heart that is okay and that God gives you a pass with that. Oh no, the Lord says, be holy for I'm holy. Can you imagine how much more that is magnified by Jesus who says, Randy, be holy for I am holy and I have made you to be holy and my Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. Be holy and let it be in speech. Let that overflow of your heart 
be holy. Jesus says it in Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. An evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. So if you're a liar and you have issues with lying, really the issue is not with lying. The issue is with a deceiving heart. It's the heart that's the issue. And if you are a braggadocious individual, your bragging is not the problem. It's your prideful, arrogant heart that's the problem. And if you're one who has fits of anger, it's not just your anger that's the problem. It's your murderous heart, according to Jesus, that's the problem. So he says, let your example be in your speech because your speech will reveal a transformed heart and a transformed heart is what the world needs. So Timothy, if you're gonna have respect, let it be in your speech where you start. Let it be evident to the people around you that your heart is transformed and constantly in a process of being transformed into the holy image of Jesus. Nobody knows my words better than my wife, my sons, and my closest friends. That ought to be where I start. Is it evident to them that God is working holiness in me? That the commands of God are active in me? Is it evident? And is it evident in you? Now, in the same way, we could just flip that around. Gracious speech that is seasoned with salt reveals a transformed heart that is full of wisdom. So you got a choice. Do I, do I want to make commands of God, uh, the commands of God known to people and not be given in pure speech or do I want that? I want that and I want you to desire that as well. Proverbs 15, 28 says it this way, the heart of righteousness ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So in the same way as our mouth demonstrates a witness of Christ and the commands of Christ, so our conduct, what we do, what we don't do, it reveals our heart. Matthew 7, the great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, so every tree bears forth, every healthy tree bears forth good fruit and every diseased tree bears forth bad fruit. So be an example of what good fruit looks like. How, how do we do that? By the way, we use our time, our money, our energy, our faithfulness. When we act in those ways, how we use money, how we use time, how we use energy reveals our heart. Be a model of loving God, holy with time, energy, and money. Be a model of loving people inclusively, be an example in obedience to God as slaves of righteousness, duty bound unto Christ who is holy. So what he's saying here in the end is that our words and our conduct matter. They reveal our heart. And because we are identified with Christ and Christ is identified with us, we then reveal Christ to other people. We reveal him by his word that we're sharing in a commanding way and we reveal him by our words and our conduct. So reveal Christ well. Now secondly, he says, not just this external in words and conduct, but internally with love and faith and purity. 
Those three, love, faith, and purity, are given to us by grace from God. All those are gifts, right? I mean, it's, it's Christ Jesus who initiates love with us. When we were not very loving, Christ was loving on us. He initiates faith. He pours out faith to us in a predetermined way, an amount. He gives us faith. He gives us purity. Only Christ himself can make us pure. Take away our sin and impute his righteousness in us. So this whole interior that he says, live out the example of this, love, faith, and purity, we have to recognize, first of all, that's a gift from God. That's, that's the work of Christ in us. It's not like you're gonna have to fabricate this example of love, faith, and purity. You're just gonna have to recognize what Christ has afforded you, has already given to you, and exercise that walk in that walk in the power of that you say well I can't love that individual oh but God can love them through you I don't know that I can have faith in this situation oh I know that God pours out faith in the midst of all crises and he will give you faith I don't know if I can walk in purity in this day and age oh but God's holy purity is poured into you now exercise in that stop and pray Lord give me love give me faith give me purity you ever have those moments where you just say, God, I need you right now in this. I need more faith. I need a greater urgency for purity. Or Lord, I need a more full expression of love. Stop and pray and ask him to pour those things out. He is already doing that and he will do it in a wondrous way as we're just walking through life day by day. So though the world is fracturing and divisive with rhetoric and identity politics, God empowers us to love all people. So Meadowbrook, be an example in love. And though fewer people are identifying as Christians, you and I are determining to grow in our faith, revealing God's faithfulness to us. So be an example in faith. And though the cultural moral fabric is being torn away from God's standard and God's Holy Spirit is very much at work in us, sanctifying our hearts and minds, empowering you and me to live holy lives, so let's be an example in purity. Listen, my friends, like Timothy, some of you are in very difficult circumstances. The situation that you're involved in might be people around you or difficult uh, circumstances around you and you might be questioning your ability to make a significant impact in the place you find yourself be faithful to God's word stay true to God's word influence as many people as possible because you have and hold and are given the authority to share God's word you're an example to people around you so be very intentional about your speech and your conduct and love and faith and purity. You're making a difference. And doing this, you will be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul was encouraging Timothy. Just be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we earn respect and find ourselves faithful? By sharing and proclaiming commanding these things how do we earn respect by speaking these things and living out the expression of these things being demonstrative from a transformed heart in our speech in our conduct and our love faith and in purity and God will do a wondrous work 
from every one of us who says, here am I, Lord, send me. Lord, first, just thank you for making it possible for us to live in a way that makes a difference. Today and for all eternity, thank you for your love, grace, for your purity, for your holiness, for your word, all those things treasured to us and now given in ways that we can share them with others. Thank you for making it inexhaustible. Lord, we hold true to this, that your faith poured out in us will never be poured out in full measure. You will always give more and more and more. And the love that we have experienced from you, when we give it, Lord, you will replenish that on the fly just more and more. And the purity, God, we trust you for pure hearts, pure minds, pure mouths. We pray in the end as we're communicating these truths from your scripture that a life lived in a transformed way by your spirit will make an impact. So help us, God, I pray.